hundreds of millions of dollars selling access, selling favors, selling government contracts. I guess that was an advertisement. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Who knew he meant that as a good I thing? I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. How do I? From Pacifica Radio in rainy Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on 92.9 FM WLRI News Watch. In Hawaii, on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, uh, despite claiming to be concerned about stuff like fraud, a Republican-led U.S. House committee voted today along party lines to kill the federal agency responsible for setting standards for electronic voting systems and for helping to set best practices for managing voting rolls that Donald Trump pretends to uh, be concerned about. That story is coming up in a little bit. Also coming up a little bit later, our latest Green News report with Desi Doyen. With, as usual, nothing but encouraging news, right? <laughs> Actually, there is some good stuff in there. So really, really, you want to hear this. There uh, is stuff. There are there are rays of sunshine. Yeah, nobody believes you, Des. <laughs> uh, here's some good news, though. Uh, just breaking as we go to air. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has granted approval for the easement needed to build the Dakota Access Pipeline. That should be fantastic news. To those of you who voted in a way that made it easier for uh, Donald Trump to become president... Uh, So you progressives, particularly who voted that way because you wanted change. Well, hey, congratulations. You got change. There's some change. Good work. Good work, kids. Uh, All right. um, More on that in a bit. We're just learning uh, information about that as we go to air here. You know, I I think when um, when Donald Trump said make America great again, I think what he appears to have meant was make America hated again. I think that's what he actually meant. Yesterday, we reported on, in addition to the huge protests around the country and the world against Trump's immigration ban and and other executive orders, more than 100 tech giant uh, corporations uh, filed a, a friend of the court brief against the ban, opposing the ban. 
saying it would make it more difficult for them to be successful. And nearly a dozen former top security and intelligence officials and cabinet members from previous administrations, both Democratic and Republicans, they argued that uh, Donald Trump's travel ban would make us less safe, not more safe. And even George W. Bush's torture lawyer, the guy who wrote W's torture memos justifying its use under a wildly expansive reading of, of, of presidential president's executive powers. Even he, a guy by the name of John Yu, thought that Trump's executive orders were unconstitutional and went too far, went too far for John Yu. And then there was the conservative speaker of Britain's House of Commons who railed against Trump in the uh, in uh, in the parliament in, in the U.K., calling Trump essentially a racist, decrying his attacks on an independent judiciary after Trump attacked yet another federal judge, a George W. Bush appointed judge, by the way, for temporarily blocking his Muslim travel ban because because, oh, you know, it might be unlawful or it might be unconstitutional. And all of that opposition, all of that was was just coming from America's friends. So imagine how Trump is emboldening America's enemies at this point to make America hated again, perhaps. Well, now you don't have to imagine it. Uh, we're already seeing some signs of that. First, the uh, the disastrous Navy SEAL raid in Yemen last week apparently had a secret objective, according to NBC News. The head of al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula was apparently the target. However... He survived, and he is now taunting President Donald Trump in an audio message. Military and intelligence officials told NBC News that the goal of the massive operation was to capture or kill Qasim al-Rimi, considered the third most dangerous terrorist in the world, and a master recruiter. But while one uh, Navy SEAL... 14 al-Qaeda fighters and some civilians, the way NBC describes it, some... Uh, some civilians, including an eight-year-old American girl, were killed during a firefight. Al-Rimi is still alive, and he's in Yemen, according to multiple military officials. On Sunday, Al-Rimi, on, uh, uh, on the U.S. most wanted terrorist list, after taking over al-Qaeda's Yemen affiliate in 2015... Uh, he released an audio recording that military sources say is authentic... And he says, among other things, the fool of the White House got slapped at the beginning of his road in your lands, said Al-Yimi uh, in an apparent reference to Trump's botched January 29 raid in Yemen. That was the first to receive his personal approval after he became president. The White House, uh, which had declared the raid, quote, a successful operation by all standards, unquote, had no comment on this. The Pentagon also declined to uh, declined to comment. Uh, NBC News analyst Juan Zarate, a national security advisor in the administration of former President George uh, George W. Bush, said, "Certainly, if the goal is to capture the leader of Al Qaeda and Peninsula in the Arabian Peninsula, that didn't happen. It wasn't successful in that regard." Military officials told NBC that it was. The prospect of taking out Al-Rimi that convinced the U.S. chain of command that the mission was worth the risk in making their case. Apparently, uh, Defense Secretary James Mattis and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff told Donald Trump that Al-Rimi's capture would be, quote, a game changer. Well, they didn't call it a slam dunk. 
Uh, and they doubted that the Obama administration would have been bold enough to try it, according to this official to uh, to NBC. So uh, Obama wouldn't have been bold enough. But but you can do it, Mr. President. You can do it, Mr. Trump. You can be brave and, and get the job done. But they didn't. It was a disaster. A senior U.S. intelligence official told NBC News that, quote, almost everything went wrong once the raid got underway. The raiding force on the ground came under fire. Fighting erupted around houses where women and children were. Chief Petty Officer William Ryan Owens of SEAL Team 6 was killed, was mortally wounded in uh, in the battle. An MV-22 Osprey was called in as backup, but it had a hard landing and it was rendered useless. A pair of Harrier jets and a pair of helicopter gunships arrived and attacked the encampment and destroyed the Osprey. The military official said the Pentagon later acknowledged that civilians were killed, including children. But after the raid, the White House press secretary, Sean Spicer, said it had been a successful operation by all standards. That is a quote. So I guess if you consider uh, losing a Navy SEAL, killing a bunch of women and children, killing some al-Qaeda fighters, but letting the uh, the lead al-Qaeda, uh, the head of al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, AQAP, if you consider letting him get away and all of that other stuff to be a successful operation by all standards, well then, I guess, welcome to Trump world. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 and, and you'll note, by the way, that while there were 33 hearings on Benghazi in Congress, we will be lucky. We will be lucky if we see even one over Trump's botched Yemen raid. Because, after all, it was a success in every measure, says, uh, says the White House. But never mind al-Qaeda. Uh, frankly, I'm much more uh, concerned about, we know they don't like us, and we know they want to get us. Frankly, I'm much more concerned about what feels uh, very much like what it could be uh, easily becoming a war with Iran. It seems like we are uh, all these factors are coming together that are uh, sending us in this trajectory towards war with Iran, and now Donald Trump appears to be giving a gift to Iran's hardliners who would love to have a war, I guess, with us. He seems to be giving a gift to them by emboldening them with these uh, with these threats, with threats against Iran, with putting them, quote unquote, on notice. Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, made a rare public speech today to dismiss Donald Trump's threats on missile tests. He says the president, quote, showed the real face of America. The White House last week imposed a, a new round of sanctions on a few Iranian individuals and entities. Trump's controversial travel executive order also temporarily bans Iranian citizens from entering the U.S., Trump uh, himself put Iran on notice via Twitter, saying Tehran is, quote, playing with fire. They don't appreciate how kind President Obama was to them. Not me, said our president. Uh, Khamenei said in response, we are thankful to Trump for making our life easy as he has showed the real face of America. During his election campaign and after that, he confirmed what we have been saying for more than 30 years about the political, economic, moral and social corruption in the U.S. ruling system. Again, this is Iran's supreme leader, Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, 
giving this rare statement uh, to to basically, and he's one of the hardliners, to basically support the hard line against the U.S. And he's using Donald Trump to do it. Khamenei also seemed to take a swipe at the chaos at airports that was caused by the travel ban. He said Trump has, quote, shown his human rights by handcuffing a five-year-old child. That apparently is a reference uh, to the case of Artemen Jalali, a dual U.S.-Iranian citizen who was detained for several hours at Washington's Dulles Airport uh, as he returned home with his mother. Now, he was not handcuffed, but he was detained for hours. Apparently, the handcuffing comes from an image uh, that was circulated on, on social media. It seems to be, as they say, fake news. He wasn't handcuffed, uh, as far as we know. It was actually a different boy uh, that was shown in the picture, dated from back in two- 2015. But this kid was was detained. This Iranian child, this five-year-old child, was detained for hours, and it's making a pretty good uh, propaganda line for folks in Iran. Folks in Iran who have a reason to uh, to stoke war with the U.S. Tuesday's comments from Khamenei are the latest salvo in in the escalating war of words between Washington and Tehran. On Thursday, uh, Ali Akbar Velayati one of the Supreme Leader's top aides called the Trump administration inexperienced and vowed his country would continue testing ballistic missiles. Iran is the strongest power in the region and has a lot of political, economic and military power. America should be careful about making empty threats to Iran, he said. These comments were later followed by a, uh, a statement, from, an amazing statement by uh, National Security Advisor Michael Flynn who put uh, Tehran, quote, on notice and then walked away from the podium. So whatever on notice means. And uh, later, Trump reiterated those comments. So uh, this is heating up. While a lot of people are looking at other things, understandable, There's, I guess, there's a lot of things going on. Um, but frankly, Donald Trump is, you know, throwing up a lot of noise, a lot of flares, uh, his list of, of, of terror Underreported events terror that attacks, he says. Yeah. yeah. Well, originally they said unreported. Now they just said they're underreported. Included in that list were places like, oh, the Paris attacks, the San Bernardino attacks, yes. uh, which I think were covered pretty well. <laughs> um, but you got yeah. a lot of media, you know, running around looking at all of that well, stuff. It's Meantime, to chase. Yeah, they're exactly they're chasing rabbit. Meanwhile. There's something going on here uh, where they're really, really, you know, walking the line, pushing the line, uh, saber rattling, chest thumping with Iran, which is a major military power in in the Middle East. And I I don't know. I'm quite concerned about it the way I was, you know, kind of concerned about the uh, possibility of Donald Trump winning Mm -hmm. the election. And I turned out to be right. I really hope I'm wrong on this one because, boy, I I just keep no matter what I keep seeing this and I keep thinking about this and everyone's looking at everything else. And this thing is very troubling. And those things are also very important, too. You know, you do have to pay attention to what they say. Some of them. Some of them. Well, not all of them are super important. But, yes, they have to be noted and cataloged to varying degrees. And that's where the priorities seem to be skewed right now. Uh, You know, this stuff is happening. Well, they're skewed to what dumb thing did did Donald Trump say today? What lie did uh, Sean Spicer tell? And, yeah, you're right. You do have to cover them. But I think we're heading in a very troubling trajectory with Iran. Uh, i got a lot of other stuff I want to get to here, so yes. I'll leave it for the moment at that. Um, but it, it, it's quite troubling. And 
pay we attention. need to pay attention. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'll I'll say for the moment on that. Um, meanwhile. Back here at home, a 50-50 deadlock over the confirmation of Donald Trump's education secretary nominee, billionaire Betsy DeVos. That deadlock in the U.S. Senate was broken by Vice President Mike Mike Pence today. He became the first vice president ever to cast a tie-breaking vote for a cabinet nominee. The vote to confirm DeVos came after Senate Democrats had staged an all-night Senate talkathon all night long Monday evening to draw attention to their opposition to the bill, uh, to the billionaire from Michigan who has absolutely no experience working, attending, or volunteering at a public school. And now she's going to be the top official for the nation's public schools. She's never gone to a public school. Her children have never gone to a public school. They all went to Catholic, uh, private Catholic schools. And her big goal in life is to make sure that the private schools get public school funding. Mike Pence was needed to break the 50-50 tie after two Republicans, two Republicans, Senators uh, Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, uh, decided to oppose DeVos. Good for them. The uh, rural state Republican said that DeVos lacked the experience to understand the challenges facing public schools. Democrats were unified in their opposition to DeVos. Good for the Democrats for a change. Finally, finally, at least on this one, at least on uh, on this one vote, at least for this moment, Democrats unified to oppose Betsy DeVos. After a nomination hearing where she failed to demonstrate really any understanding of education philosophy, we played some of those clips uh, at the time they were uh, that that hearing was going on. Senator Al Franken said on Monday night, um, as they as he was taking part in this uh, 24-hour talkathon, that his exchange with DeVos during that hearing last month, where he asked if she was partial to an educational philosophy where children are measured on growth within the academic year or on proficiency of a grade level, she didn't really understand the question. Franken said she had no idea what I was talking about. And he said, I can't overstate how central this issue is to education. So clips from from that hearing uh, circulated on social media. This energized people in opposition to uh, Betsy DeVos. Calls apparently flooded into Senate offices, jammed phone lines last week. And this helped to pressure Democrats to fight DeVos's nomination. And it urged a couple of those Republicans in any event to oppose her. Senator Heidi Heidkamp, the Democrat from North Dakota, who seems to vote for just about all of these Republican nominees, even she voted against DeVos, saying that most of the calls that she are, uh, that she was receiving were uh, were about Betsy DeVos, and 90 percent, 90 percent of them were in opposition to DeVos. Bob Casey, Republican from from uh, Pennsylvania, said he received more than. 100,000 calls opposed to DeVos, more calls on one topic than he has had since he entered the Senate in 2007. And still, the only Republicans out of 52 in the U.S. Senate that would vote against uh, that would vote against Betsy DeVos, just two, the, the two women, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. Uh, rallies uh, have had been organized at Senate districts around uh, around the country against DeVos. Pressure uh, was successfully influenced, uh, brought against uh, Collins and Murkowski, but that was it. 
And yes, Desi, you mentioned uh, DeVos. She's got a personally, she has personally invested in private and charter schools over the years. She's been an outspoken advocate on uh, on both of them. <clears throat> and, uh, but, you know, what can Democrats do? They've only got 48 votes in the U.S. Senate. Democrats uh, plan to use a similar delay tactic, and it is delay at best for more nominees, including uh, Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama, uh, his nomination to be attorney general. The Senate is expected to move to his confirmation next. A former Republican chairwoman in her home state, Betsy DeVos, was instrumental in backing the controversial expansion of for-profit charter schools and and of blocking legislation designed to oversee those institutions. So not only was she in favor of these for-profit charter schools of taking money out of the public school system, but she was also... Uh, in favor of making sure there would be no oversight of those for-profit uh, institutions and those private institutions. So apparently uh, she will continue to fight to avoid oversight of for-profit charter schools uh, using our public school money, uh, at, least if, uh, at least if we pay attention to her responses to Tim Kaine during her confirmation hearing, uh, hearing last month on this. And if confirmed, will you insist upon that equal accountability in any K-12 school or educational program that receives federal funding, whether public, public charter, or private? I support accountability. Equal accountability for all schools that receive federal funding. I support accountability. Okay, is that a yes or a no? That's a, I support accountability. Do, do you not want to answer my question? I support accountability. Okay, let me ask you this. I think all schools that receive taxpayer funding should be equally accountable. Do you agree with me or not? Well, they don't. They're not today. I, but I think they should. Do you agree with me or not? Well, no, because... You they, don't agree with me. Let me move to my next question. So, yes, she does not support equal accountability. I think that much is clear. They should get the funding. These private schools should get the funding, but they should not get the same level of accountability. That's right now what we have. Throughout her confirmation hearings uh, and in recent weeks, Democrats have called on DeVos to pay $5.3 million. Remember that number for a second. $5.3 million that she owes, or at least her organizations owe, in long overdue election fines. The All Children Matter group, this is her one of her school choice advocacy groups. Uh, it was until recently headed by uh, DeVos. They owe the state of Ohio more than $5.3 million for election law violations. This is a record fine, and it is now nearly a decade old, a decade past due, according to Politico back in, in, uh, in December. She has still not paid these fines, $5.3 million. This billionaire, Betsy DeVos. And by the way, for you Trump supporters listening out there, yeah, because I, I know you're there. I hear from you, too. I know you're there. Uh, Betsy DeVos uh, is exactly what Donald Trump campaigned against, what he pretend, pretended to oppose. Her family gave huge amounts of money to almost every Republican senator that voted for her today. Many of the Republicans uh, who were considering her nomination in uh, in committee received tens of thousand dollars from DeVos, according to financial disclosures. DeVos also gave three hundred thousand dollars to the GOP Senate Leadership Fund, a hundred and uh, hundred and fourteen thousand dollars to the National Republican Senate Committee, two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars to the Republican National Committee and one hundred and sixty thousand to the Senate Republican Campaign Committee. She 
not only bought uh, influence within the Republican Party, apparently she just bought the U.S. public school system because she now heads it. Back in 1997, she was not shy about it. In, a, uh, in an op-ed in Roll Call, DeVo- DeVos wrote that she had decided to stop taking offense at the suggestion that, uh, that pol- political donations are an attempt to buy influence. She said, quote, now I simply concede the point. They are right. We do expect something in return. We expect to foster a conservative governing philosophy consisting of limited government and respect for traditional American virtues. We expect a return on our investment. Well, boy, howdy, did Betsy DeVos get one today. The combination of uh, her convictions, her political connections, and her poor performance under uh, Senate questioning prompted this furious grassroots effort to defeat her nomination. Last week, uh, Brian Schatz, a senator uh, from uh, from Hawaii, Democratic senator, said the last three days have been the busiest in capital switchboard history by almost double. He said this is working. Well, it didn't work well enough. Despite their best efforts, Democrats were only able to peel off those two Republicans, Murkowski and Collins, uh, they both said that uh, their constituents expressed concerns about DeVos's voucher policies and how it would impact education in larger, largely rural states. But that was it. Just two Republicans. Democrats have just 48 uh, Democrats, not even 48. They've got what, uh, 46 plus uh, uh, two, two independents. independents, Bernie Sanders and, and Angus, Angus King, King. Uh, who caucus with them. So at best, they've got 48 votes. They need to get Democrats. So even when they pull together, as they did happily for a change today, they can't they can't stop these nominees after especially after the Democrats uh, did away with the filibuster a few years ago when they were in control of the Senate, the filibuster for cabinet appointees. And I'm happy they did away with it. That's fine. So it's a straight up or down vote for cabinet nominees, but they cannot do it alone. So even if Democrats do what they're supposed to do and even if they perform as the loyal opposition with a spine, as they did, at least in this case, at least for a moment, keep it up, Democrats. But even if they do that, the fact is they do not have the numbers to block things like cabinet appointees after killing the filibuster for such nominees. So the opposition and the continuing public pressure to make sure the Democrats to continue to at least put up a fight, that is very important. But ultimately, without the numbers, the opposition uh, can only succeed so much without a majority in the Senate. To truly turn this fight around, it's going to require voters to turn out in 2018. And before that, they're going to have to turn out and vote in order to get rid of the bad guys and to change the math in the U.S. Congress and at the state level and at the local level. But to do that, of course, as we talk about a lot on this show, voters need to be able to vote. They need to be able to have access to the polls. They need to have their votes counted and counted in a way uh, that they can know that they have been counted accurately. But right now, Republicans are continuing and, in fact, increasing their effort to keep all of that from happening. We're back on the democracy beat next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away.
Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. We gotta turn something around. You gotta try. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com trying to help turn the beat around. Uh, all right, some news from some not insane countries for a second. Can we do that? Can we, will that make us all feel better? Um. Okay, uh, voting at many polling stations in Punjab, India. Punjab was was disrupted or de- delayed for as much as an hour on Saturday due to technical snags hitting electronic voting machines or EVMs. Sound familiar? Complaints about almost 150 EVMs not functioning properly in various assembly constituencies were received by the state election officer in Chandigarh. Reports of a large number of machines not able to function due to technical snags came in from uh, Amritsar, Mukhtar, and Sungur districts. Due to the uh, due to the problems, polling officials uh, polling had to be called off a number of times, according to Punjab's uh, chief electoral officer V K Singh, adding that these machines were then replaced by others. The VVPAT. Sound familiar to you uh, election integrity fans out here? The VVPAT that they use, the Voter Verified Paper Audit Trail Machines. That's that little receipt that you get, remember? The, yeah, well, you don't get it. Counts? You look at it, okay. and it goes into back into the machine, and you're right. No one ever bothers to count it. They use the electronic uh, account rather than these little pieces of paper, which is a good thing because in India, in Punjab, like here in the United States, uh, the uh, the VVPATs, the audit trails, uh, those machines developed snags in various districts. The uh, VVPAT machines uh, issue that slip to the voter to make sure that their vote has gone to the candidate whom he voted for, but really they don't. The election department is using 31, more than 31,000 electronic voting machines uh, in the uh, one-day assembly elections for 117 seats in Punjab. So... We are not alone with our disastrous voting machines. I know I hear from a lot of people. They say, "Wow, they don't use the you know only the U.S. does this. Everywhere else in the world, they hand count ballots." Well, not everywhere. Not in India, and they still have the same problems that we do. Although I suspect they, unlike us, may actually do something about it. Uh, they and uh, the Dutch, by the way, before I get back to us, the Dutch uh, concerned about the role hackers and false news might have played in the U.S. elections. The Dutch government now announced last week that all ballots in next month's election would be counted by hand. The decision to forego electronic counting according to the New York Times, is a stark response to warnings that outside actors might try to tamper with pivotal elections this year in the Netherlands, in France, and in Germany. Ronald Van Rock, an opposition uh, member for the Socialist Party in the Netherlands, demanded guarantees 
uh, from the government that the uh, that the Dutch elections are, which are set for next month, March fifteenth, that uh, he demanded guarantees from the government uh, that those elections would not be hacked, and said if the government could not provide such a guarantee, it should resort to paper ballots, hand counted paper ballots. In a report last week, the uh, the Dutch broadcaster RTL concluded that the Dutch election would be, quote, easy to hack, citing interviews with experts and an in-depth investigation of the vote tallying software the nation has used since 2009. They use paper ballots that are hand marked, but they count them with machines. Again, same thing we do in this country where people think, well, we got a paper ballot, nothing to worry about. Well, you have plenty to worry about. On Wednesday, uh, the Interior Minister Ronald Plasterk said the government was looking into the electoral system's vulnerability to fraud, but was taking preemptive actions to remove any shadow of a doubt about electoral integrity. So they will abandon the use of computer technology for vote tallying as well. You got hand marked paper ballots and hand counted voting in the Netherlands. A nation of 17 million will occur, as The New York Times describes it, the old fashioned way. Voters will use red pencils to mark paper ballots, which will then be hand counted in each voting precinct and then tallied across the nation's 20 voting districts. The results are then submitted to the Central Voting Office and the nation's Electoral Council. That is what I often describe as the gold standard, as the gold standard uh, for democracy. This came after this uh, report from uh, from RTL. Uh, Herbert Boss, a computer scientist at the Vrije University in uh, in Amsterdam, said in the Netherlands, the whole system was frighteningly insecure. Although the country still uses paper ballots, the rest of the chain from the polling station all the way to the announcement of the final election results has been, quote, completely computerized since 2008. You did not even need to be super sophisticated to manipulate the counts, Bose said. Could a foreign country such as Russia or China or indeed any advanced state do this? Oh, yes, easily, he said. Will the decision to pull the plug on the computerized vote counting improve integrity? Yes, he said. You need manual counting and a paper trail that is checked. He added election results are the heart of democracy. You cannot risk any of this. And with that warning, the country actually did it. They actually changed uh, from this uh, electronic uh, counting to hand counting. And years ago in the Netherlands, uh, when they got information uh, again, from hackers, from computer scientists who were able to demonstrate how easily uh, these uh, electronic touchscreen systems that they were planning to use when they, it was demonstrated how easily they could be hacked, they immediately got rid of them. They stuck with the, uh, with the optical scan counters here, apparently. But now, uh, when once again, computer scientists came out and said, no, these things are easily hacked, they're easily manipulated, they got rid of them. Almost immediately, as soon as there was a concern. Compare that to the U.S. Compare that to the more than 10-year fight now where we, we celebrated our, our anniversary at bradblog.com last week, our 12th anniversary. We're now in our 13th year, and damn near every one of those years, we have been trying to get out this message about these concerns about our voting system. And I guess we've failed. 
Uh, although to a certain extent, uh, the, con- the entire country would have been using touchscreen systems by now, I think, had it not been for the fight by a lot of election integrity activists uh, that we've tried to highlight over the years. So at least we're not using those touchscreens as much. We're still using them in about a third of the country, but not the entire country. The rest of us are using paper ballots, but we're not hand counting them. And when there's a question about an election, no, we don't go back and hand count them as we saw last year after the uh, presidential election in 2016. Incredibly close election uh, where just uh, three voters had three votes uh, in each of the precincts in Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin had just three votes gone for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump. Three votes in each precinct, we would have had a different president now. So it was pretty close. And yet, when there was an attempt to count them by the Green candidate, not by the Democratic candidate, by the Green candidate, Republicans and Donald Trump did everything they could to stop the hand count, and it was a success. So, no, uh, you can't wait until after election night. To maybe, if there's any questions, we'll, we'll, you know, if there's any concerns, we'll be able to hand count later. No, we can't. And yet the, uh, the, the electronic voting systems and counting systems that we, are, that we use in this country are by and large overseen by only one federal uh, body. That's the U.S. Elections Administration. Well, guess what happened today in the U.S. House? In a 6-3 to three vote today along party lines, the U.S. House Administration Committee voted to eliminate the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. That helps uh, states run elections. It's the only federal agency charged with making sure that voting machines can't be hacked, writes Ari Berman, our friend over at The Nation. Uh, but he's wrong. They, they don't make sure that voting machines can't be hacked. They're actually a, a, a terrible commission. Uh, no, they were created after the disastrous 2000 election in Florida. It was part of the Help America Vote Act of 2002, and Republicans have tried to kill the agency for years. They tried to kill the agency before it even started, before it even got underway. Back in 2006, 2006, we had an exclusive at Bradblog.com. You can still look it up today. I'll link to it from today's show item, uh, a transcript from an unaired interview by a major broadcast network. I don't think, I don't know that I was ever clear to say what network it was from. It was, the interview was unaired, but it was with the former, the first U.S. Elections Assistance Commission chair, Reverend DeForest Soares, appointed by George W. Bush as the first chair of the EAC uh, after, the, uh, after the law, after the Help America Vote Act uh, uh, created the EAC in the first place. In the interview, the first chair of the commission excoriated both Congress and the White House. He referred to their dedication uh, to reforming American election issues as, quote, a charade, a travesty. And he said at the time back in 2006 that, quote, the system, the, the, the uh, system now in place is, quote, ripe for stealing elections and for fraud. He had resigned from the commission in April of 2005 because he said that he, he felt he was deceived by both the White House and the Congress at the time. He was a, a Republican appointee under George W. Bush. He felt he was deceived by the White House and the Congress and that neither were ever serious about election reform. In this unaired interview, Soares said there are, quote, no standards for voting systems and that the Congress has uh, uh, Congress and the White House made things worse through their passage of the Help America Vote Act. 
Sori said that we now have the inability to trust the technology that we use on electronic voting system standards, uh, which uh, the Help America Vote Act had mandated uh, would be created by the EAC. Sori's blasted the House and Congress for failing to supply them with the needed resources to create those standards. He said, I was basically deceived by the leaders of the House, the Senate and the White House. Someone in America has got to hold America accountable for protecting the most fundamental right in a democracy, and that is the right to vote. He said, and it's if it's not the EAC, it's got to be someone. Well, I guess it's us. I guess it's down to you and me. Um, but listen, that's not the only reason that the EAC has been a disaster. Uh, we've been covering this for years. Go to bradblog.com, type in EAC and do a search there. Uh, they have allowed, among other things, they've allowed state officials to illegally certify voting systems like Nevada's uh, then Secretary of State, uh, now U.S. Senator Dean Heller. He certified uh, Nevada's 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems, which are still used in the state today, in violation of state law. And this was all helped by the EAC, who knew that he was doing this illegally, who helped him to do this in violation of the law. Those machines were unlawfully certified uh, from the folks who then ran the EAC more than a decade ago, and those machines are still in use today. I wrote about that story uh, exclusively uh, with Michael Richardson and the, the late John Gideon in a chapter uh, of Mark Crispin Miller's book called uh, Loser Take All. If you would like to learn more about those uh, voting machines and how Dean Heller, now Senator Dean Heller, pushed them through in violation of the law. So the EAC has always been a disaster. But as much as it was a terrible agency, uh, what we needed is to fix it, not to kill it. Looks like uh, now it's uh, probably finally going to be killed by uh, by the Republicans who now control the House and the Senate and the White House. The committee chair today in the House uh, Administration Committee, C Greg Harper, said it is my firm belief that the EAC has outlived its usefulness and purpose. Mind you, they felt that way from the day they created it with the Help America Vote Act. Uh, and uh, so he explained why his bill will transfer the EAC's authority to the Federal Election Commission, uh, the only uh, federal agency who may be even more of a disaster than the EAC. 38 pro-democracy groups, uh, writes Berman, uh, including the NAACP and Common Cause, denounced today's vote. The EAC is the only federal agency, they write, which has its central mission as its central mission, the improvement of election administration. And it undertakes essential activities that no other institution is equipped to address, according to the Brennan Center for Justice. They found that 42 states using uh, voting machines in 2016 were uh, those machines were at least a decade old and at risk of failing. The EAC was the agency tasked with making sure that these uh, voting systems were both modernized and secure, which, of course, the EAC doesn't do. They have failed to do over the years, but they're the only ones. They're the only federal body uh, to do this right now. Ari uh, notes that the EAC is not a perfect agency. He points out a lot of the problems or a number of the problems with the agency. But he says, given the threat to American democracy at this moment, the EAC needs to be strengthened, not replaced. 
He says it's particularly ironic that the Trump administration is preparing to launch a massive investigation into non-existent voter fraud based on the lie that millions voted illegally, while House Republicans are shutting down the agency that it is suppo- that is supposed to make sure America's elections are secure. Ari argues that it's more proof of how the GOP's real agenda is to make it harder to vote. And it is, because the other uh, mission that the Help America Vote uh, had with the EAC that they uh, required the EAC to do was to do a report on the nation's voting rolls. The voting rolls that Donald Trump uh, you know, says are allowing millions of illegal non-citizens uh, to vote and allowing people to be registered in multiple states. And so the EAC did reports on both of those issues, on the voting rolls, on best practices for how to clear out the voting rolls of, for example, dead people uh, who sometimes remain on the rolls for years or people who move from state to state. Uh, Now, they also uh, gamed some of those reports, as we have uh, covered over the years at Bradblog.com, but they are the only federal agency who does that. And now Trump is pretending that he wants an investigation into voter fraud, into the voting rolls, and Republicans are trying to kill to kill the uh, the the very federal agency that is supposed to oversee this stuff. And just remember, there have there's no evidence that anyone that was a dead voter voted. No, there was in two states voted. There was there, no there, actual evidence of. The, yeah, there, what was there, the evidence? Yeah, of there, that? well, there there was no. There was actually one. There was uh, one guy, uh, one woman whose whose husband had voted um, by absentee, but then he died before the election in 2016. Which happens. But yes, that's uh, there. You go. Right. There's dead people voting. So there's your one out of a billion <laughs> votes cast, something like that, since 2000. Yeah, that's. That's the that's the myth that's get gotten carried away with, uh, and, with Mr. And, Trump. And and that Donald Trump pretends to want to do something yeah. about it. Uh, Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell's not even pretending. He doesn't want to do anything about it, uh, and maybe for good reason. But we don't have time to talk about those reasons. We'll do that uh, next time because we got to get to a break. Come back with our Green News report uh, and more on this news about Dakota access. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> That's what's going on. So those who voted to make it easier for Donald Trump to become president, once again, congratulations. This is all good news. You're getting change. I just hope you can vote to uh, have more change in the future. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today.
Fighting for your democracy? Fighting for your planet? We cover it all. Because <laughs> someone's got to. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Des, before we get to our latest Green News report, uh, some breaking news today. I want to say it's troubling, but uh, we, we saw this coming. Yes, yes, we did. So what's happened is that the Trump administration has ordered the Army Corps of Engineers to grant the easement for the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's the one that the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe has been fighting for more than two years now to try to stop. It's the one that's going to go underneath their water supply, just north of their reservation. They're concerned that it's not only going at any kind of pipeline And across spill. their sacred lands yeah. because, you know, the hell with them. Well, right. And, you know, there's a lot of detail on that. You can look up more detail on the litigation and the timeline of that at earthjustice.org. But a statement that was put out by their lawyers, that's the earthjustice.org uh, law environmental group, um, they say that the Army circumvents the law to grant easement of Dakota Access Pipeline, canceling the previous order by the Obama administration to complete a full environmental impact statement. So the uh, the lawyer for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe mm -hmm. says that, quote, the Obama administration correctly found that the tribe's treaty rights must be respected and that the easement, that's to go underneath Lake Oahe, Oahe, their, their, yeah. their uh, <clears throat> water supply. So the easement should not be granted without further review and consideration of alternative crossing locations. Trump's reversal of that decision continues a historic pattern of broken promises to Indian tribes and a violation of treaty rights. Trump and his administration will be held accountable in court. So what that leaves us with right now. And they were supposed to do an environmental study. Obama had ordered an alternative an environmental uh, study. A full environmental impact statement. That's a very specific procedure under uh, federal law. Which was then going to take two years so it or could take as long as two years. So that would hold off the pipeline, at least for that time. What happened to that? The Trump administration just canceled the environmental Essentially, study? that's what happened. Are they allowed to do that? Um, that's going to be the question that comes into mind because right now it's a government procedure it was published in the federal register mm -hmm. supposedly that's supposed to be something that's in the law and that you can't just you know laws I know laws. the rule of law you and your rule of law so you know they're going to argue the that's Dakota so November 7 2016 <laughs> the yes, Dakota Access ahead. Pipeline Company is going to argue that they already had received the easement and that it was only the Obama administration that changed course and required them to do a full environmental impact statement there's a lot of detail on this we can get to it another time. There are some ways that they can possibly uh, overturn this in court, but a judge has to agree. And this uh, company from Dallas, Energy Transfer Partners, they are good to go. They have built the pipe all the way up to Lake Oahu. They have filled Oahe. it with Oahe. <laughs> they have filled it with, with oil, oil. Yes. and they are ready to go under that lake. They're not going to wait. We'll see if uh, they even stop in time for a, a court to stop them and have a hearing here. Yeah. And there is still a question as to whether or not Donald Trump is still invested in Energy Transfer Partners, the pipeline company. Uh, these, his administration said he divested of them, but they have provided no evidence. Draining the swamp. Uh, okay. Just, uh, amazing. I know. And now they're going to, will they drain the lake in order to drill under it? I don't even know no. how that works. Uh, they certainly won't be draining the swamp in uh, in Washington D.C. anytime soon, no matter no matter what Donald Trump likes to say. Okay, well, with that out of the way, we'll get to the far far cheerier <laughs> Green News report. It's not just the fox guarding the hen house; it's the fox 
destroying the hen house. 400 former EPA officials tell Senate to vote no on Scott Pruitt's nomination to head the EPA. Another heat wave in the Arctic leaves scientists in stunned disbelief. Electric vehicle sales jump nearly 40% in one year. China to cut coal use in Beijing by another 30%. Plus, people really do care about science. The March for Science is on for Earth Day. All of those marching scientists and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Can you tell the Forest Service to start logging our forests aggressively again to provide jobs for Americans, wealth for the Treasury, and not spend $3.5 billion a year fighting forest fires? Good point. We wouldn't have all these expensive forest fires if we just got rid of all the forests first. Burn it all down, baby. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you were watching the Super Bowl ads closely, and while there were no overt environmental ads, at least that I noticed, you noticed something else among those commercials. Yes, the ads of Super Bowl 51 were a little different this year. I noticed that they showed not only diversity in people, but I also noticed diversity among car choices. Hmm. The Super Bowl ads to me seemed quite remarkable because of how unremarkable hybrid and electric cars were in those ads. There weren't any really overt environmental statements. The cars were just portrayed as normal and not at all an unusual choice for average consumers in their everyday lives. Normalizing electric vehicles, normalizing hybrid vehicles. Exactly. And that normalization of electric cars is showing up in sales. According to a new analysis by Forbes this week, electric vehicle sales in the U.S. are climbing steadily. By the end of last year, with 30 different EV models available, sales of electric cars jumped nearly 40% over 2015. And more than half of the EVs sold in the U.S. across 2016 were sold in California. Of course, it's still only a drop in the bucket of total U.S. vehicle sales, but this very solid growth in electric vehicle sales occurred in spite of very low gas prices. And don't let anyone know that all they have to do is plug in these cars and they don't have to ever buy gas again. But shh, keep it to yourself. Meanwhile, in politics, more than 400 former officials with the Environmental Protection Agency have signed on to a letter strongly urging the U.S. Senate to vote no on Trump's pick to head the EPA, Oklahoma Attorney General Scott Pruitt. The letter, released on Monday by the Environmental Integrity Project, says that Pruitt's record of suing the EPA to stop pollution regulations, quote, strongly suggests that he doesn't support the agency's mission of protecting public health against pollution. (laughs) You think? 400 former EPA employees. Do you think anyone in the U.S. Senate on the Republican side is going to give a damn about that? Probably not. Of course not. And in the U.S. House, one U.S. congressman has already proposed a bill to abolish the EPA. But scientists are pushing back, taking inspiration from the wildly successful Women's March, the day after Donald Trump's inauguration. A group of scientists have set a march for science, appropriately for Earth Day, Saturday, April 22nd in Washington, D.C. They'll rally for scientific integrity and evidence-based policy. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I hope they have funny pink hats to wear. There's also a People's Climate March on Washington, 
Washington, D.C. That's also being organized for the week later, April 29th. That will coincide with Trump's 100th day in office. And that one is being organized by a broad coalition that joined forces at the massive People's Climate March in New York City. Remember back in 2014? All of these groups are now working together at the intersection of climate, environmental justice, Native American rights, and civil rights organizations. You said that's going to take place on his what day in office? 100th, if we get that far. Right. And now extreme weather hits the Arctic again. Arctic temperatures this week are forecast to soar to 50 to 60 degrees warmer than normal. In the dead of winter, sea ice in the Arctic is already at a record low extent, and the Washington Post reports that this latest Arctic heat wave is so warm and of such long duration that Arctic scientists are, quote, in disbelief, stunned, and unable to explain it. Finally, some good news. China has made another big announcement on cutting out coal. The capital, Beijing, announced plans this week to cut the use of coal by an additional 30 percent over last year, according to Chinese state-run news media. And they've set a goal of phasing out the use of coal entirely in the next year in six major districts around the capital to combat dangerous air pollution. Good for China. It's just getting kind of embarrassing for America at this point, isn't it? Well, with the U.S. taking a step back, China's taking the step forward. For more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. One step forward and two steps back. Nobody gets too far like that. One step forward and two steps back. This kind of dance can never last. Thank you very much. That's Desi kind of Doyen. the theme for these days. One step forward, two steps it back. It sure is. Uh, but you know what? We got no choice but to uh, keep taking those steps forward. Period. Keep uh, fighting the good fight any way that we can. Like Churchill says, when you're going through hell, keep going. Is that what Churchill said? Something like that. I like that guy. Now I'm sorry I removed his bust from my office. <laughs> my thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com or at your favorite podcast site like iTunes, where we hope you will give us a good review, make it a little bit easier uh, for everyone else to find the Bradcast as well. You can drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find, follow, and share us, me, on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.